the show starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, go. Hi, everybody. This is the Revoe Root Podcast. And today I'm having Jeff Mason on. Mr. Mason was a teacher at Pioneer High School, and he was also arcade historian. And we just wanted to have him on today to ask him some really interesting questions about the community and what's going on in the history of arcade. Uh, so how are you doing today, Mr. Mason? Uh, I'm fine, Revoe. And how about you? I'm really good. I'm really good. So yeah, why, why we wanted to have you on today, you have a large swath of knowledge. I also forgot to mention that you write for the paper. Is that correct? The Arcade Herald? Uh, I, I send in a, a, a remember when column every week. I don't actually work there, but you know, I've done that for quite a few years. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a great resource to use to be able to see what's going on and what has happened throughout the years in the community. Um, and yeah, do you, do you know by chance anything of what happened today, this day in history? Um, not really. Um, since, since the Arcade Herald is a, uh, a weekly paper, um, you know, and all their copy is, is finalized two days before the publication date. Uh, so I can't tell you exactly anything that would have happened on July 26th or July 22nd locally or, or nationwide. Uh, I just wrote next week's column last night. And uh, so I know the Casey Stengel uh, Youth Baseball League just had their uh, championship season or championship uh, games 10 years ago this weekend. Oh, okay. I, I, I don't know exactly what date. I think that's like my, my time. I think I'm trying to, I was third. What was I 13? Yeah. I think actually that was part of my grade. They, they competed in like a statewide competition. Is that right? Well, this was just a uh, local. Oh, okay. Uh, but um, now let's see, I'm, I'm actually looking at the paper right now. It was in the uh, 13 to 15 age group. Uh, that was the, uh, uh, the Freedom Padres one. So I'm not sure, I'm not sure who they beat, um, but uh, but yeah, that was the winning team in the uh, 13 to 15 age group. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's definitely something that someone who's from the community and who has now moved, whenever I read the paper, I definitely look for that. It's always very interesting tidbits of what happened. Um, and, and with that being said, you know, this past year, obviously for everybody with COVID, it's been very, very different and hard on everybody. 
And so my question, my first question is, how has life been for you through the past year and a half with co- dealing with COVID-19? How has it changed your way of life? And I, I know you like to go to a lot of events and uh, you're very much so there for the community. Uh, how has that affected things? Well, uh, for the first several months, groups that uh, I belong to had to meet on Zoom. And uh, so I, I know... Uh, you know, I've done more Zooming in the last year and a half than I had uh, total before in my life. Um, and that has its good points and its bad points. Um, and I did um, I did what I, I know a lot of people have done uh, by spending more time at home, uh, weeding out a lot of uh, stuff, I guess you would call it. Yeah. You know, things that keep accumulating and you say to yourself, oh, I need to go through that sometime and weed out. Like gave me some opportunities to do that. Um, you know, I like to, to eat out maybe five or six times a week. Um, so that of course changed to either take out or then once we got up to June and July, uh, you know, and places opened up a little bit more you know, I would just make sure that I went that when at times when uh, there were very few other people around. Yeah. Uh, like I still tend to do that. Um, I try to uh, go to a class at the gym three or four times a week. It's a class designed for older people. Uh, couldn't do that from March until late October and even even when the gym reopened with limited capacity uh, at the end of October, um, I guess one challenge is, um, you know, I I usually wear glasses, but I'd have to remember to uh, put on my contacts before <laughs> I went to the gym because uh, uh, people that wear glasses and uh, uh, do any sort of uh, exercise uh, with a mask on, uh, you kind of fog up. Oh yeah. It's, I, I found that if I ever tried to, I do wear glasses on occasion and I did not, I tried it maybe twice and I couldn't deal with it in general. I was trying to tighten that thing to my face and then I had marks on my nose and yeah. <laughs> it yeah. was a mess. Not a good combination. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, the thing, the thing I've noticed now too, is, um, I, I just have noticed that without masks on it's such a different world to me like compare you can see people's facial reading seeing people's facial expressions it's so it's so odd and it's so fascinating now to be able to see someone's face and how they're reacting because someone could be looking at you with a with a dead frown on their face but you would never know it because they're wearing a mask and now i think a lot more people uh forgot that they can you can see your face because you see (laughs) frowning and and you see all sorts of emotions but it's it's good because we see uh, a sense of humanity back in our in our places of you know all over the place which is just relief to me I, i i imagine it's the same feeling for you as long as it doesn't backfire on us, because, you know, especially this last week or so, you know, things are not going in the right direction again. 
That's true. And I, I would love to add at this point, if you haven't gotten vaccinated, get vaccinated. You can go to your local CVS, Walgreens, Rite Aid, wherever. Go there and get vaccinated, people. It's important. You're not going to you're not going to die of the vaccine. No, I got my vaccines on. I can give you exact dates, February 11th and March 4th. So my my two weeks after that ended on March 18th. That was kind of my Independence Day. Yeah, it's when I when I got my vaccines, too, it just felt like such a relief once you hit that point where you do have that immunity to the virus. And, and just, just another, you know, for everybody listening, uh, the reason why these variants are forming are because people aren't vaccinated. So the Delta variant, what's going on right now, that is, is a very fatal variant and will be even for young people could potentially be much more and is much more fatal than the regular coronavirus. Those variants are formed through people not being vaccinated. And I, I don't know the science behind it to the fullest extent, but basically what I know is that you're, if you're not vaccinated, then the chance for variants to forms amplifies by a ton. And we have to hit that point where we can have herd immunity and the virus will dissipate. Um, but yeah, definitely get vaccinated, everybody. It'll make a big difference on your life. You don't want to get sick either. It's common sense. It's science. We believe in it. So the next thing, and this is just a little bit of a pivot to kind of the history of Arcade and how it was formed. Uh, so what do you think throughout history, one of the most important moments or maybe one of the most fascinating moments for Arcade was where it's a really uh, transformational point in the, in the town and being able to see what, see what happened during that point in history? Well, there's probably a couple of transformational points in the 19th century. Uh, one would be the uh, abolition movement, uh, okay. because there were uh, several people in Arcade that that were um, that were abolitionists. This would be in the 1840s and uh, 1850s. Uh, you know, we're quite sure that. Uh, several people in Arcade uh, hosted uh, fugitives in their homes as part of the Underground Railroad system. Wow. Uh, there's not not uh, written records of something like that uh, that are from that actual time period because uh, it was something you didn't advertise. Yeah. Because especially after the Fugitive Slave Act was passed in 1850, uh, you were doing something illegal. Uh, but uh, we know from uh, letters and things that were written by uh, some of these people or their descendants, their, by their children, uh, in later years, uh, there were um, um, there were some people in Arcade that that did house. Uh, uh, fugitive enslaved people in their in their homes for a time since um, I mean by car we're, we're only an hour from the Canadian border um, of course uh, these are people that were usually either on foot or maybe riding and covered up in the back of a four-strong wagon so it'd be a couple of days away from 
either the um, Niagara River at Buffalo or um, around Akoit Bay in Rochester. Uh, But uh, knowing that there were people here involved in the Liberty Party, which was devoted to the abolition of slavery, uh, you know, it it makes sense that we had uh, some people that believed in the abolition of slavery. Uh, They were probably a minority uh, for some of that time. Um, Another transformational point would be when we got our first railroad uh, in 1871. Uh, it'd be the railroad that that still pretty much uh, parallels uh, Route 16 between Buffalo and Olean. Okay. Wow. So, <clears throat> when was when was that in 18? You said 1871. 1871. Yep. Wow, that is amazing. And and when did um the Arcade and Attica Railroad? When did that come to fruition and they build that? There were different attempts to get it started uh, as early as. The 18, well, there's there's even plans uh, back in the 1830s, very early days of railroads. But uh, then there was there was actually some some grading of a rail line uh, uh, in the 1850s. But um, you know, quite often, when projects like this would get going, you know, we used to be in a 20-year cycle nationally as far as financial panics or depressions. Yeah. And so, um, you know, these projects would sometimes get started and then collapse due to lack of financing. Um, the impetus for uh, what we know as the Arcade in Attica, uh, it always started to the north of us in Attica. You know, it, it was never initiated in Arcade. But, okay. Uh, uh, the Erie, the northern branch of the Erie Railroad ran through Attica and uh, eventually you know, had people that thought, you know, if we could, con- con- excuse me, connect the northern branch of the Erie at Attica with the southern branch of the Erie at Cuba, that, uh, you know, that would be a good thing to do. So uh, they built as far as from Attica to Couriers in 1880. And this was just a narrow gauge railroad. Yeah. And then extended to Arcade in 1881 and on down to Cuba in 1882. Uh, the part from Sandusky to Cuba didn't last uh, for too long. Uh, and then in the 1890s, that was rebuilt as a, a standard gauge Railroad, and uh, then, and this was early on known as the Tonawanda Valley and Cuba Railroad. Uh, okay. Then later, it connected uh, on down to uh, uh, the uh, rail line we would think of it on West Main Street by uh, the overpass, uh, the, the line that went from Buffalo to Olean to Washington D.C. Um, and so it doesn't actually become known as the Arcade in Attica until 1917, but the railroad had been here for 36 years before that. That That's very interesting. And when they, when they started to do that, so that was, that was, um, I assume state plans that they put that in and what was the purpose of it 
to start the railroad? Would it just be transporting goods from place to place? Or what was the purpose of it initially? Uh, some of these railroads, like like the one that went from Buffalo on south into Pennsylvania, and also there was another one, the Buffalo and Susquehanna, uh, that went down, down toward Wellsville and on into Pennsylvania. Uh, some of this was designed to pick up on the natural resources of northern Pennsylvania. Uh, and you'd be talking particularly uh, lumber and coal okay. and getting it to the population centers of New York State. Uh, but also it was useful here uh, for our agricultural products. Very interesting. Huh. So basically it was a, a, a give and take from northern Pennsylvania to here and, and seeing what we could trade back and forth. Is that, is that right? Is that, am I grasping that correctly? Mm -hmm. Okay, perfect. Yeah. That's, I know it's like, uh, basically the arcade in Attica is like one of the landmarks of arcade where so many people do come to visit it because it's the only, is it steam engine train or is that correct? Or. Well, when the steam engine is, is running, it's been down for repairs for, uh, I think three years now. Okay. Uh, but, uh, but yes, when it's operating, it's, um, I believe, the only steam-powered uh, passenger excursion in New York State. Um, and hopefully it'll be back in operation next year. I mean, they've been running for the last three years with their um, uh, 1940s era, era diesel locomotives. So this train is still running for tourists, yeah. but uh, not under steam power. But, um, yeah, steam locomotives, because they operate with a boiler, they're very heavily regulated uh, by the state and federal governments uh, because you don't want a boiler to explode. Yeah. And there's only a certain number of hours that you can operate a, a steam locomotive uh, before it has to be taken apart and... Um, you know, a lot of welding and other uh, work has to be done before it can be put back in service. That's a public safety issue. Yeah. So is that the reason why they stopped running it? Because it basically they they exceeded that limit, so they couldn't run it anymore. And they is it? Yeah, just... they got up to the limit. The firebox needed to be done, and and also while it's while it's taken apart, uh, there's other things that. Uh, they're, they've decided to work on uh, to prolong its, its life before it has to be stopped again, you know, on down the road. Okay. I, I'm curious because I, three years is a really long, well, in my opinion, it's, I don't know usually what the circumstances are with these type of trains, but steam engines, uh, to me, that kind of train, how unique it is and how uh, rare it is now to see one of them and to ride on one of them. I just feel like, is it, is it also a funding issue as to why they can't fix it? Because I think that would be just a great thing for people to write to their representatives about, especially uh, Senator Schumer, who I know likes to visit the arcade in Attica and has visited. So I, I think that would be great to get some sort of grant, maybe in this next infrastructure package, that would be really nice. Well, it's, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure about the infrastructure package because you're talking about a tourist attraction. Uh, the railroad itself has received um, uh, a lot of state funding over the years to uh, upgrade the, the track uh, because it's also a working freight railroad. So you've got to have a decent track to accommodate the uh, the heavy freight cars that it hauls, uh, uh, mainly between Arcade and Reisdorf Brothers Seed Mill uh, near North Jaba. Uh, so it's both both freight and and passenger. I don't know if the uh, I mean I know the proposed infrastructure bill uh, you know is looking at things like high speed rail. Yeah. Uh, but um, that's that's not really the arcade Naticus thing. <laughs> it's funny you mention high speed rail. I was actually just gonna just gonna ask you. That was my follow up question. Uh, <laughs> I was gonna ask. Do you think? Because I know I know that the oppo- people who oppose high speed rail, what their concern is, is that places like Japan, places like China, they say oh, it's more flat land, it's easier to build. And I know they were thinking of building one in California. They kind of ran into that issue, but I don't see an excuse on something like the the Great Plains and Middle America. Um, I think in some places in New York, especially, do you think we can get high-speed rail in, in New York State and beyond throughout the country? Do you think that's a, a good idea? Uh, there was one proposal, uh, I think this was under Governor Pataki, maybe. Um, wow to um, uh, put down a, a high-speed rail line between the, uh, the parts of the throughway, you know, the, the median. Um, and there were some questions as to whether or not there's, there's enough room. Um, I mean, you've already got a, a rail corridor that, you know, it's pretty much the same corridor that uh, the Erie Canal followed. Um, it's, you know, it's a question, though, of, um, you know, you've also got freight trains using that same corridor. But, um, but yeah, for example, to go from Buffalo to Albany, that's a, that's a pretty slow trip by, by train right now. Yeah. But, um, but, yeah, if you could do it so that it could be done in, let's say, two hours, It'd be a lot faster than driving your car or going to the airport and trying to fly to Albany because it takes you so much time in in the airport before you even get on the plane. Um, There's, you know, I've seen comparisons, uh, you know, as to um, how long you can get, how long it takes to go from Beijing to Shanghai in China on their high-speed rail and how long it takes you to get from New York to Chicago on our rail system, because it's about the same distance. There's no comparison. Yeah, it's 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 sad to hear. And you, you heard me say, wow, because Governor Pataki, it's, it's such a that's such a long time ago. Like we were thinking about high speed. Yeah. Sorry, what did it, you say? It's been quite a few years, I know. Yeah. I mean, we were thinking about this. We were ahead of the game. Now these other countries have passed us. We 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 can't let that happen. I mean, that's I'm I'm a big proponent of high speed rail, and you know, 
getting that done. Because like you said, once, once that travel time is able to happen, once we're able to go to Albany, to New York city, to, from Syracuse, Buffalo, um, Rochester, all of those different places, all those different cities in New York state, once you're able to do that, then it helps businesses, it helps small businesses, and it helps our, stimulate our economy because people are traveling all over the place, going to visit different places, and it's not going. And they can all do it in one day. They're not doing the, you know, like you said, on a regular train, it's extremely long, and if you drive, you know, it takes it's fatigue, it causes fatigue because you're actively doing mm-hmm. something when you're riding on a train. You can be relaxing, reading the paper, whatever, and when you're, you're doing that. It it really, I think would help the economy. I mean, I think that would be tremendous and everybody would enjoy, we need to, we need to be in the 21st century is what I'm trying to say. And I I just think that was shocking to hear that governor Pataki proposed this, a Republican by the way, and uh, wanted to do that. And, and so I just, infrastructure to me is something we can all come together on. It's common sense. It's easy. Our roads and bridges need to be fixed. We need to have 21st century infrastructure um, but yeah, I think the other point I wanted to touch on is you've mentioned one of the most interesting facts about arcade being that there was the underground railroad, is that right? Or abolitionists that came to arcade and were actively a part of the Liberty party with the way that some people in our community have touted things like Confederate flags and have represented that as their uh, heritage, as a, as a history teacher, as somebody who is a historian for the town. Um, what, do you, what do you say to those people and how would you respond to that? How can we be better to learn from history from those brave people who were abolitionists and were in arcade? I mean, that's something really that every single person who's from arcade should be so proud of. And I see in some ways sometimes, and and not from uh, even a majority of people from, this is a small amount of people, but to to see that is a little concerning because I hear that and I'm just thinking, why is that? Why is that the case? So what do you, what would you say to those people and how can we do better from that? Well, I, I guess, you know, some of it goes back to what I said several minutes ago. Um, you know, the, the abolitionists before the Civil War were probably not in the majority here. I mean, they were fairly vocal, but, um, you know, they probably weren't in the majority. Um, and, and that's true with, with basically the North. Um, you know, and even Abraham Lincoln wasn't really, he wasn't what you would call an abolitionist until he decided partway through the Civil War that, you know, you had to turn it into a war to actually end slavery. Um, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what to say in terms of educating people, because yeah. uh, I'm not sure that's, not sure that's the right word. Um, you know, a lot of it comes down to um, states' rights again and individual rights. And I, I know there is a, a movement of, you know, trying to uh, divide New York State into three 
autonomous regions or something like that. That's, um, you know, and that's that's a dream of of some people, um, and, and I know that's the case with um, with a number of our more populous states, whether you call them a red state or a blue state, uh, whichever uh, group of people is in the minority. Um, wants to break away from the from the majority, and um, you know, here in in our part of Western New York, um, it's basically a a pretty conservative or red area uh, in a state that's dominated by uh, you know an increasingly uh, liberal uh, group uh, at the other end of the state. Um, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure how you respond to that. Yeah, I think. I think it, I think it's a it's a tough. It's something I always like to question and, and try to sort of pose to myself because I just. It's hard to. It's definitely hard to answer too. I mean, it's it's something where. People have. I think not been around a, a certain sort of, they haven't, they haven't been around different sectors of people in their life. And I think that has caused then in especially rural communities, like a, a very sort of, well, we don't want to deal with that. We don't want to, we don't want to deal with those people. And it, it just, it, it just, I, I pose the question because I think it's just troublesome to me. I, I worry about it because, and, and I'll, I'll just transition really quick to such as people who don't think that the election was legitimate. I don't mean to like leapfrog all around here, uh, but I, I think that it's, it's important that, like you said, I think the main thing is educating people that, Hey, look, this is what happened. These are, these are important things to be proud of, you know, being proud of the Confederate flag is something that it's, it's not, these are people who were trying to divide the country and we need to come together and be able to do that. Um, so just another, and I'll just transition here, just another off topic question. Um, have you ended up reading any of the three books about the former president? Uh, the ones that just have recently come out Yes. Uh, I've, I haven't actually picked up a copy of any of them, but I've, I've seen, um, I've followed pretty closely different excerpts that have been uh, publicized. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's very interesting. And I just, I, I think the question that I'm really looking for here to ask, because I'm reading one of them right now, and it's just, it's very troubling to see the actions that were taken. And I mean, we saw them in real time, but then to see so many people throughout the nation believe it. I think the question that I'm looking for is really, do you think that throughout your life, do you think right now is number one, the most divided we've been and Number two, is there a way to unite the country? Um, and number three, how do we do that? 
Um, yeah, I'd say it's definitely more divided than any time I've than I remember, uh, and you know, I'm easily old enough to remember the divisions uh, that um, uh, came about during uh, the Vietnam War. Yeah. Um, and um, and and I'm a veteran, um, but um, um, you know that was pretty divisive. But um, but yeah, this is this is far more uh, divisive. Um, and I think uh, some of it, some of it is probably due to um, the media, and I'm referring here to two types of media, um, because even during Vietnam we had, you know, we had television, yeah, uh, but we just had basically the the three networks, uh, but uh, but now you've got cable TV. And you've got all these different cable channels that, you know, whatever your feelings are, you can find a channel, uh, a channel, to reinforce whatever your feelings already were, and it just amplifies it. And and also the um, uh, Facebook, and and I like to use Facebook, but uh, uh, you know, I, I've seen uh, seen some pretty. Uh, strange things on on both sides of the question on facebook uh, things that things from people that i tend to agree with but i kind of cringe at the way they're uh, coming forth and and of course things that i don't agree with that that i think applies to anybody um, but i think the other thing that that i've been noticing here I mean, we've passed the, the six-month mark since the inauguration. Um, I do not remember any time where people uh, didn't take down their, their campaign signs after an election. Yeah. And... Um, that's you true. know, whether your candidate won or lost, you know, the election's done. Uh, you know, you put away your sign, you know, uh, you know, if the candidate you didn't vote for won, well, you know, feel free to criticize, but, uh, but you don't, you know, you move on from the election. Um, and um, I know on, on my street, uh, I think both signs are still there, and I don't know if these two neighbors are deliberately keeping their signs up, but uh, but on one side of the street, there is a Biden sign. I think it's about the only sign that's still out, um, but right across the street, the neighbor has uh, their Trump sign, the same sign that they've had up since, uh, since last fall. Um, and... Um, yeah, so this this election just doesn't want to die. No, and I think it's a lot of, there's always been a, at least for the most part, there. this has been the first in a really long time where the outgoing president has decided that he doesn't want to accept the vote totals. And in some areas said, 
keep counting the votes. We got to count them when he was down. And then in other areas, when uh, he was he was up, said stop it. All the counting needs to stop. I mean, it was just ludicrous. It, it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't even matter what what political spectrum you're on for to say that blatant hypocrisy of stop counting the votes. We can't count them. Well, if we're going to stop counting, at least have the consistent message of stop counting everywhere. But then we're going to say count the votes. Of course, of course, count the votes. I think that's normal (laughs) to add a place where you're losing. It's just, it's, it's scary to me because I think that now still clinging onto that narrative. And I think why these people won't take their signs down is, and, and I think it's just that the person who they supported refuses to admit that they lost and says the election was in turn rigged, which is troubling and, and really scares me for the future based on the foundation of our democracy. Where is it at and how are we going to move forward? Um, I, I think, I hope we're going to be okay. Um, do you think, I, I, I just kind of looking for reassurance for, my, <laughs> for myself here too. Um, do oh, you're you think, not going to get reassurance from me. <laughs> <laughs> That's well, I was just going to ask you, do you think that we're going to, do you think the country is going to make it in the long haul after everything? I mean, the thing about America too, is that America is such a long country or, or a young country. Do you think that we'll be able to make it through this period where there's still people having signs for each candidate on each other's yards and, and maybe there's a feud going on and they don't talk to each other. There's no discourse. And that's on both sides, by the way, Um, people alienating each other saying they're a horrible person because they believe in some other side. That's not right. Um, Do you think that, do you think that that's going to keep getting worse? How do, do you think that we can heal that or, or do you think there's no precedent in history? So we'll just, the cards are going to fall as it may. Well, there's, there's not really a precedent in, U.S. history because we've never, I mean, we've had, you know, several presidents that, that failed to win re-election, but, but they've all ultimately conceded and, and stepped aside. Um, so this is a first. I mean, you referred to us as a, as a new country. Well, relative to, to some countries, especially in Europe, yeah, we're we're new, but we've got uh, we've got about the oldest operating constitution in the world. That's very true. So, yeah, I'm 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 just not sure if things are going to get better. Um, uh, I think the next year and a half will tell us a lot. Yeah, that's. That's a good point. Um, well, with that, <laughs> um, I just... Yeah, on that happy note. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've, I also didn't know you were a veteran, so I also want to say before we, I let you go here, thank you so much for your service. I really appreciate it. Um, well, there are... Um, to me. The, the majority of um, uh, healthy males that were uh, born in the late 1940s and early 1950s uh, either enlisted or were drafted. Yeah. So that's just the way it was at that point in our history. 
Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on, Mr. Mason. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. All right. Try to get another one out there. We appreciate you coming on, Mr. Mason. You have a great day. You too, Robo. Thanks. Joking at a time like this 